The 0-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. Knocked him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of It's Wednesday, December 27, 2017. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. And Chet, the birds get it done in ugly fashion on Christmas night, beating the Raiders to secure home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Who would have thought 13-2? and two? Merry Christmas, Philly sports fans. Yeah, horrible game to watch Christmas night. But, yes, the Eagles did get the W, did secure home field. But as you're well aware, I have some concerns, and we'll see if our guest does as well. Well, we will get to that, and uh, looking forward to it. We've got a bunch to talk about as we close out 2017 and have what's become an annual Christmas week visit from Philly.com writer Frank Fitzpatrick talking all things Philly sports. We have Fred Hugo for our Week 17 picks. And we have the voice of the Penn State Nittany Lions to talk college football and the Penn State Fiesta Bowl matchup against the Washington Huskies and Steve Jones. Heck yeah, busy show. Two great guests, lots to discuss. So let's get it going. All right, let's get rolling. Welcome back, Frank Fitzpatrick. Frank, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and welcome back. Same to you guys. Uh, Happy to be back. Hey, Frank, this is uh, the fourth year in a row, I think, that we've had you on right about this time, the end of one year, the start of another. And 2017 has certainly been another interesting year on the Philly sports scene. I guess the incredible turnaround by Carson Wentz and the Eagles would be the biggest story and the biggest surprise. Do you agree? Absolutely. You know, I I was thinking about that uh, as I was was, uh, getting ready to talk to you guys tonight, and and I thought, boy, you know, a year ago, things things were depressing. I mean, you know, we didn't know how good Wentz was going to be. We had seen flashes of it during the season. The Sixers were another huge question mark. Um, you know, uh, the Phillies, uh, you know, they, they certainly didn't have much uh, to be promising about in, in, in December last year. Look what a difference a year makes. I mean, I, I'm – and, and I'm, I tend to be an, a natural pessimist. I'm optimistic now. I think uh, I'm looking forward to the Phillies season. The Eagles have exceeded – Certainly, my expectations, and I would suspect everyone in the Delaware Valley's expectations. And the Sixers are, I like, I like what I see of them. So I'm, I'm, this is a happy holiday indeed. <laughs> hey Frank, sticking with the Eagles for a minute, you know, where, where does it start? Obviously, Carson Wentz has played great, but Doug Peterson has done a great job with the the pieces that Howie Roseman and that bunch have put together. I mean, credit goes all the way through the organization on this. You say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and look at the look at the defense. I mean, I I remember talking to you guys last year and saying I was how concerned I was about their defense. I mean, you just uh, you know, yeah, you, you had some question marks about the offense certainly, but the defensive questions were even larger. And boy, their defensive line has been great. The uh, the, the linebackers, the, the, the secondary, which was the biggest question of all, has uh, performed remarkably well. I think. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I'm They've, they've, you know, except for the last couple of weeks, and so maybe there's been a blip here and there. But over the course of the season, I think you, you'd have to be happy with how the secondary played, it's especially when you go back and look at uh, what the expectations were. So yeah, I think, that, and, and Howie Roseman, as as, uh, as Gruden made a point of mentioning the other night during the Monday Night Football, he's, it's hard to knock any of the any of the signings that he made. Um, Peterson. Another guy I had a lot of questions about is has, has seemed like a genius. So I don't. You know, I'm beginning to think I don't know a damn thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the secondary. That's definitely a surprise for me. The cornerbacks, especially, played better mm-hmm. than anybody thought they would. Michael Kendricks, who everybody thought was going to be either traded or released in the off season, had a pretty decent year instead. Nigel Bradham looked really good at linebacker Bradham, most yeah. of this season. So mostly positive surprises for this team. But here we are at 13 and two. And as we said at the top, Frank, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of confidence among a lot of people, including myself maybe, um, given the Wentz injury and the way the offense played in the Christmas night win over the Raiders, the way the defense played the week before. So 
Got to ask you, can this team win a couple of playoff games with, with Nick Foles and the rest of the current lineup? Well, I, it's, hard, it's hard to envision that. But then again, as I said earlier, it was hard to envision them going 13-2. and two. I think, you know, Foles sort of uh, lessened the fears of, of, that everyone had when Wentz went down that first week against the Giants. I mean, he looked pretty good through four touchdown passes. But I think that the, those fears that everyone did have sort of came to the surface this Monday night against Oakland. He just he just didn't look he, he, he didn't look in rhythm. He didn't look uh, you know like he had the, certainly the he didn't have the escapability that Wentz has. His arm strength even you know I, I was questioning a couple times on some of those outs that he threw. And just didn't seem to get the ball there. Um, I don't know if the win was a factor or what, but yeah every. Every fear that the Eagles fans had about Wentz going down were certainly realized on Monday night because Foles looked slow and plodding, and 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 uh, you know he 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 Jim Fergosi, the manager of the Phillies, used to say uh, he liked the if a guy had a good face, you could you could see it. And Foles to me does not have a good face. He looks his his expression looks tentative. He looks. I don't want to say he looks scared, but he looks uncertain mm-hmm. at times out there, and I think that's something that a, that a quarterback can't be. So hmm. I guess that's a long way of saying that I, I find it hard to envision a scenario in which they win two playoff games, especially given how surprisingly good these other NFL, NFC teams have looked. I mean, the Rams have looked. Gurley has you know, made that team look completely different. Um, and the Vikings – they're as big a surprise as the Eagles, I think. So yeah. uh, there's there's certainly no dominant team in the NFC. So if the Eagles were to get through, and I, I guess I wouldn't be shocked, but I find it hard to um, I find it hard to see that happening at this point. I don't know how you and one of our regular that. one of our regular listeners, Frank, asked, "How far did you think they would have gone had Wentz stayed healthy? Were they a Super Bowl team? Maybe a Super Bowl winning team? Even certainly. I mean, I, I think they certainly would have been." prohibitive favorites to get through the NFC. Uh, once they, you know, had they gotten the Super Bowl against the New England, then it would have been a, it would have been a, uh, I don't want to say a toss-up, but I don't think the Eagles would have been, you know, more than a three-point underdog, four-point underdog. Um, and, and, you know, Pittsburgh is a, is a good team, but I think the Eagles showed last year that they can play with them. So, yeah, I think if Wentz had been healthy, there's nobody in, you know, other than the Patriots, I don't think there was a team that scared me. Well, see, Frank, I'm one that's on the other side of the fence because I still like their chances. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I, I got to feel like, you know, each game is its own piece of work. And every time somebody went down, the, the world was caving in. Yeah. When Peters went down, we couldn't recover. When Hicks went down, we couldn't recover. And all these guys kept dropping off. And certainly Carson Wentz was the leader of this team. But uh, the team is still here. So I'm I'm still riding high and uh, I'm, I'm liking their chances. I don't see anybody, as you say, I, you know, there's no real powerhouse. I don't see anybody that scares me that we can't beat. I hope you're right, but you know that that's the nature of the Philadelphia fan is uh, is the wait for that other shoe to drop. When one bad <laughs> thing go. happens, uh, when one bad it. thing happens, we expect the sky to fall in. Um, and I think that's that's the mindset that's that's sort of prevalent in the Delaware Valley now. We're Starting reverting back to our natural state, you know, we were we were so optimistic and and so upbeat while the Eagles were going to, uh, you know, before Wentz got hurt. That I think now we're sort of reverting back to the way we we tend to be, uh, and that's waiting for the waiting for the that bad thing that we know is out there to happen. Frank, speaking of football, nice column earlier this month about the annual Army-Navy game and how it's so special for Philadelphia where it's been played, what, 86 or 87 times now. Do you personally have any special memories of that game? You know, I, the, the games I tend to remember most are, are the games that I, you know, when I was growing up, when, when Army and Navy were still nationally ranked, annually nationally ranked teams, you know, with Stallback and, and Stitchway and 100,000 people at um, at Municipal Stadium, and you know, I, I think what what gave the game a little special flavor back then was the fact that everyone's dad had been in either the Navy or the Army or the Marines during World War II, so there was a there was a rooting interest in every house in in the Philadelphia area, and certainly that was the way it was around the country. So the game, 
had a little more of a had a, of a, uh, a, a a personal uh, impact for everyone, and um, I, I sort of I, I sort of missed that. But I always remember the the Starback Stitchway games in the in the mid '60s. There were some classics. I've written about them over the years, and. Uh, you know, people forget Raleigh Stitchway today, but he gave Staubach and then those Navy teams everything they wanted. Um, and, you know, just walking around Philadelphia in those days, you would, I mean, you would just see, I don't know if if they don't stay up here as often as uh, as they used to in the old days, the, the, the Army alums and the, the retired generals and admirals, but you used to walk around Philadelphia and see these, these big brass walking around all the time, and there were there were soirees at the Bellevue Stratford and those kind of things. It, it just it just was an overwhelming presence in the city back in the fifties and sixties, and certainly before I was born in the forties, when you know they had their their greatest era of Army Navy games with Doc Blanchard and Glenn Davis, uh, uh, and so um, yeah, it it was it's an institution that is it is peculiar. Uh, you've got to really have some sense of history and some rooting interest, I think, to appreciate it. But uh, if you if you can find those those elements, I think, as we saw this year, it, it can be a highly entertaining and enjoyable event. It was a great game this year too. I mean, gosh, yeah, and the snow and what a what a wonderful, what wonderful spectacle it was. Well, Frank, I'm a, I'm a huge Army Navy game historian, I guess you would call it myself. And, uh, you know, from the, I guess the first games I remember kind of the John Cartwright days, you know, right after Roger mm-hmm. Robach, I was a little young for Roger, but the uh, first game I ever went to over at uh, JFK Stadium, St. James Bob Hines playing for the cadets was the star oh, yeah. of that game, if you recall about, I want to say that was 1969-ish or so. I think that's right, yeah. That was a, and that stadium that had a little something to the game either because that was one of the I don't know if you remember Bill but that was one of the worst viewing stadiums. Yeah. Uh, no matter where you were, you had a bad seat because it, the angle that it just it wasn't a steep angle the way the large stadiums are today. You know, it was a gradual angle, and you just kept getting further and further away the further up in the stadium you went. And uh, and, and then there was a track around the football field on top of yeah. it, as, as I recall. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. People remember that a lot of fun back in those days. Yeah. Yeah. It was. That was. I, I miss. I miss those. That. That Army Navy game being that overwhelming presence it was in the city. It's. It's still a big deal, but it was. It was something really special back then. Uh, all right, Frank. Uh, regarding the process that is the Philadelphia 76ers, is this going to have a happy ending at some point, or is it doomed to fail, or does it all come down to the health of a certain seven-foot center? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. It's, you know, Embiid has been twice the player I thought he was when he when they drafted him. He's just a he's just a, a phenomenal talent for a seven foot two guy that thinks he can do. And I know I talked to some guys around the Sixers, and they they feel the same way. They've never seen a guy. You know, we're not we're not talking about Wilt or anything here, but it, it, it's just different. Just the, the talent he has, the athleticism, and the and the ability to get himself shots, and he's a great defensive talent. And if you got that guy in the middle of your lineup, you know you don't you don't need a whole heck of a lot of other pieces to to complement him to to be a winning team and be a contending team. And, you know, I, I like what I see to Simmons. I, I'd like to see him shoot a little better. I think that would take yeah. a lot of pressure off off Embiid. Uh, you know, Fultz, I guess, isn't going to be the at least at least what I saw of him in in the preseason. I, He's not going to be the great, you know, the shooting guard that I, I was hoping he might be. Uh, but you know, Reddick Reddick has been has been a nice addition to this team. Uh, Covington, I, you know, I, they're just fun to watch. I don't know how you guys feel, but I, I, I just enjoy watching them play. And Bede is such a is such a uh, a different kind of center than we've had around here in in a number of years. Just able to to get his shot and, uh, uh, it's, and, and uh, you, you ever see when I, I loved the other night when I, when Simmons was coming down, down the court and, and they were, and, and when the play was over, they were standing together discussing some element of it. And Simmons was almost as big as MB. And I'm thinking, Mike, my goodness, <laughs> yeah. what is, you know, what has happened here? Uh, <laughs> the, the size of these guys and, and the dexterity and agility is just, 
just astounding. But unbelievable. But I, 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 yeah, and and I just I just really like this this Sixers team. I think they're they're fun to watch, and um, you know they're I don't think they're at that level yet where they're going to compete for a title in the East, obviously. But yep, yeah, you know, they're they're building the right way. I think. I'm with you. Well, Frank, speaking of good teams, uh, what about that one up on the main line? They're pretty darn good, those wow. Villanova Wildcats. And uh, I've got to see them just a handful of times on TV, and uh, they've been dominant every time I've seen them. Are they, they good enough to run this thing? Boy, it sure looks like it. I mean, they just seem so poised. I think in the college game today, experience is such an underrated factor because there's so few teams that have, you know, good players going three, four years in their program, you know, with the one and done. And I think Villanova is just—they just look so together. I don't know, you know, it's it's a seamless transition they've made from the the 16 title team to, you know, to last year they were they were a good team in their own right. To this year, I mean, um, I think Jay Wright has done a wonderful job with that program. I mean, they they just fit in the pieces and they build around the guys that are coming back. I mean, look how Brunson was sort of. Uh, you know, his freshman year on that on the team that won the championship, he was he was a nice piece, but he was a complimentary piece. And now, you know, he's two years later, he's the he's the man, and you can see these guys just improving and growing year after year. And and there's there's a system there that they that they play in, and and you know, those things that continuity of Jay of Jay Wright being there, of creating a system that these guys know how to play in. And of the kids sticking around for three and four years, I think that really makes a difference. And I think you see it every night. They just look, they just look like a like a poised, experienced team going against a, a, a lot of teams that that don't have those uh, factors. They're 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 like the Sixers. They're a lot of fun to watch. Hey, it's lots of interesting developments with the Phillies in recent months. Frank, the arrival of Reese Hoskins, a couple of trades, a surprise free agent signing a managerial change. Are the Phillies on the right track, and where do they stand right now? What do you think of that Gabe Kapler, by the way? You know, I don't really know him all that well, but what I've read about him and what I've – he's certainly an interesting character. I don't think yeah. I don't think we're going to be – I don't think the, the beat writers are going to be complaining anytime soon. This guy's going to be a an unusual manager. Um, I'm anxious to see him in a, in a in a game situation because we have no real idea what kind of – what kind of manager is? What his demeanor's like? What what he kind of uh, what kind of attitude he that the, that the players derive from him? Uh, what his what his strategy is going to be with the pitching staff? I mean, all these are questions or unknowns that we that we're going to get the answer to pretty soon. But I, but the if you look at that proposed lineup, uh, that's just. And think about the the opening day lineup last year, and what you and you know what what you thought of it, and what what your view of it was, and think about it this year. And I think you can't help but be excited. I mean, it's a it's a vastly superior lineup in my view. I know that a lot of the pieces are the same, but bringing in Santana, who's sort of a veteran uh, presence in the middle of that lineup, a guy who who takes pitches, which is something they really need. A guy who's not only a veteran, but an Hispanic veteran and on a team with a, with, with such a large Hispanic presence. I think that's, that's, that's an underrated and underappreciated uh, aspect of that signing. Uh, and he just makes that a whole different lineup. I mean, now, now Franco isn't, you know, isn't, uh, doesn't have all that pressure on him. I don't, you know, well, I mean, there probably is some pressure on him, but he's certainly not the man anymore. Uh, Hoskins, it takes a little pressure off of him as well. You know, that old sophomore jinx uh, pressure that would have been on him and had, you know, had Santana not come in. So I, I think it's a, I think it's a great sign. It was totally unexpected, and I, and I, I was, I, frankly, I was kind of surprised at how much they paid for him, you know, $20 million for three years, you know, $60 million, that's a lot of money uh, for a guy who – you know, frankly, his batting average isn't all that impressive, but the guy that's got 100 walks and hits 25, 30 home runs, um, that's exactly what this lineup needed. going to be fun. It is going to yeah, be fun. Mm-hmm. Well, Frank, we are already out of time, and we got about 100 more things we can talk about, but uh, we're going to have to move on. <laughs> we didn't on. even talk we about the old days. I like, this is nice. 
Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll do it some more. We, we always like having you. There's all, all kinds of good stuff to talk about. Well, my pleasure. I enjoy being here. All right, Frank. Good, good luck. Uh, uh, happy New Year. All right, you too. Have a good holiday. All right, you too. Thanks, Frank. All right, bye-bye. Well, we haven't heard from this wonderful lady in quite a while. Chris Gaskill from the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn. How are you, Chris? I'm great. It's so great to be back. Hoping that you and everyone else there had a nice Christmas. What's going on at the Irish Rover on New Year's Eve and beyond? Yeah, well, we're not open till midnight, but we are a great place to come for a little uh, pre-party dinner. You can stock up on things to take to the party, wing trays, pasta dishes, chicken fingers, whatever you need to take to that big New Year's bash you're going to. And folks can pre-order wings and other items for New Year's or Super Bowl parties, correct? Absolutely. We are counting down the days till Super Bowl, so call us at any time. We've got great things for your Super Bowl party or for your New Year's Eve party. Wings, dips, we'll do anything you'd like. And who knows, maybe, just maybe, the Eagles will be playing in that big game on February 4th. Yeah, fingers crossed. Ah, that's Chris Gaskell from the Irish Rover. Visit them on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn or on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. Now, since the Eagles took care of business Christmas night at the link, ugly as that W was, how about a little holiday music courtesy Randy Bachman of BTO? And we'll be taking care of Christmas every day. Taking care of Christmas every way. We'll be taking care of Christmas. Do it right. Merry Christmas to all. And to all a good night. There you go, Bill. Well, and that's a good lead in... Uh Chet to bring our man Fred and Butter in, and Fred Hugo to talk uh, taking care of his business as well. Fred, welcome back. Hey, what's going on? Merry hey, Christmas. Oh, it Thanks. is it is all good, Fred. It is. Well, it's not all good, but they did take care <laughs> of business. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Fred. So let, let's talk a minute about the Eagles. You. Uh, what do you think? Are you you seem to be one of them that isn't quite as pessimistic as my partner? You're a little more leaning to my side. Yeah, I mean, I'm I always am one to to rip them when when I'm when I see fit to rip them, but I I just don't I don't understand. You have Carson Wentz, who, in my opinion, is a Tom Brady like that level of Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger level of quarterback, and that's what he's going to be. Uh, we've never had that before here, so maybe people don't know fully how to handle it. But when you lose that caliber of a quarterback, I mean, of course they're not going to miss a beat. For them to, to get out of the Rams game with a win, get out of um, the New York game with a win, even though they were struggling defensively, and then th- this game here um, against the Raiders, which which the quarterback was, was, wasn't good. It was awful. You know, I, I don't see how, I, I guess – the, the pessimism, it, it, I understand it, I guess, but like it's almost like there were boos at the game. It was, it's almost as if people expect Foles to be at that level, or they're at least handling it that way. And I, I just don't see it. Every game's up for grabs. It's not like the Eagles just got blown out by the Raiders or blown out by the Giants. If that happened, then it's like, oh wow, there's a huge cause for concern. But they won these games. They uh, for and uh, I don't, I didn't plan this they took care of business you know so when i hear all the on sports radio locally here and then on facebook i just i i just don't get it like we should be like oh man let's let's support them come on nick or come on whoever we will get through this hopefully and if not if they lose it's not like you shouldn't be let down because it's almost as if your expectations are lowered now in a sense but i don't know it's it's frustrating to me Hey, let me just say, I am not a pessimist. I've been kind of labeled a pessimist here. I'm just less optimistic than I was, and that's understandable given what's happened with, you know, Carson Wentz and the way the offense and defense have played in recent weeks. And Bill and I, you and I can talk more about that later, but I'm still certainly rooting for them. I'm still hoping they get to and win the Super Bowl. But, I mean, Vegas knows it. We all know it. Their chances did go down a little bit with what's happened at the quarterback spot and the way the teams have played on both sides of the ball in recent weeks. So, I mean, I'm keeping the faith, but I'm also a realist, too. So, you know, I'm not a big pessimist, but uh, I'm just caught on it like I see it. Hey, spin it any way you want. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, yeah. I didn't label you as a pessimist, Chad. I, I, I see both sides, but I just, some, some other people are pessimists. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, the other thing that people had to remember, and, and certainly, you know, if, if this thing doesn't turn out the way we want it to turn out, uh, you know, there's going to be all this disappointment and all that from everywhere. But you know, I, all of us, I think, we were nine and seven, ten and six is where we hope to be. We're sitting here thirteen and two. Uh, we're going. We got a playoff bye, and we got home field advantage. Uh, I think, you know, to be disappointed in this season is is awful tough. Agreed. So, all right, hey, before we get to our picks for the week, Chet, how did we do last week? And I'm going to tell you, in 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 our pick'em pools, I uh, I picked Seattle, and in our pool here, I took Dallas because they were home, and the closer I told you, I liked Seattle all along. But way yep. in the pools that I was in that I could change it after Wednesday, I took Seattle, and I am happy about it. Well, because of that situation, you can't change the picks we make on the show, the rule we made a few weeks ago. Uh, yep. You were 3-2, three 3-2 and two, three and two over the weekend, Bill. Fred and I were both 4-1. and one. You can double-check me if you want, but that's the case. That means, Bill, you are now 37-19, and 19, still atop the standings, just one game up on me right now. And two up on Fred. So you're in first. I'm one back. Fred is two back heading into the final weekend. All right. Woo! Well, let's get to the final weekend. The Redskins are at the Giants with the Redskins minus three, Fred. And the Redskins are on the road, favored by three. The Giants are awful. They're in disarray. They got players calling each other out. Why is that spread three? I'm still going to take the Redskins. Um, I think they'll they'll win this game, and it'll probably be around three points that they win by, uh, Redskins. You know, I'm still not sure how the Giants gave the Eagles such a battle two weeks ago. They still stink. I'm going to take the Redskins up at MetLife. Well, and you know that I know they stink, so you know I'm taking the Redskins, no doubt about it. All right, a couple NFC not really throwing games, but adding games. Carolina at Atlanta, Atlanta minus four. Could be an interesting game here. Yeah, it's at Atlanta. They're at home. They, um, they're they doing pretty well considering a lot of teams, you know, they get that Super Bowl hangover, especially when they lose. Um, struggled last week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say they rebound this week. I'm going to take the Falcons to win this one by, uh, by a touchdown. That Carolina-Atlanta game starts at the same time as the Arizona-Seattle game. So, you know, Seattle will be doing a little scoreboard watching because they need a Falcons loss to get in. Um, as for Carolina and Atlanta, I'm going to go with the home team, and uh, that would secure a playoff berth for the Falcons. I'm picking Atlanta. Yeah, and, you know, I've struggled with Atlanta all year, too. And, uh, I, but they're, this is life or death for them. I'm, I'm going Atlanta as well at home, and uh, I sure think they're going to they're gonna come get this one. That brings us, as you said, Arizona goes to Seattle. Seattle uh, minus seven and a half in this one. Minus seven and a half. Um, I just pause there. Um, I'm just, you know what? Nah, they're on a roll this week. I'll take Seattle. I'll go with Seattle minus the seven. Minus the seven. Well, obviously we don't do the spread, so yeah, I'm going to go with Seattle. Well, they need the win, and as I said, it'll be going on the same time as that Falcons game. I think the Seahawks will come up big in this home game against Arizona. Arizona looked pretty good against the Giants, but that's not saying a whole lot. Uh, i got to take Seattle in this one, so uh, there you go. Yeah, I've got Seattle at home, too. They're fighting for their lives as well, so uh, they're, they're going to play big at home. I'm going Seattle. And that brings us to the Dallas Cowboys coming to the frigid, supposedly, Lincoln Financial Field to face Eagles on New Year's Eve. Birds minus four in this game. Eagles favored by four. It looks like most of the starters are going to play. I would expect um, Peterson, whether he says it or not, to start pulling guys later in that game. And it's a benefit for the Eagles, for the Cowboys to win. So I'm actually going to take the Cowboys. Let's let them go up the draft as high as they can, farthest away as possible. I'm going to take the Cowboys to win this one at the link. Hmm. Well, we don't know as of 7.30 p.m. here on this Wednesday evening exactly how long any of the key guys on either the Cowboys or Eagles will play on Sunday. We're hearing Foles likely will play, maybe a half. I don't care. I'm not picking the stinking Cowboys, and I know I probably won't be able to win this little competition that we have as a result, but i got to pick the Eagles to win this one. I don't know what the score is going to be, but I'm picking the Eagles. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'm picking the Eagles, too, because I can't pick the Cowboys either. 
although I do think Dallas is going to win this game. I don't think the Eagles are going to play their guys. Um, they're going to have a, a quarterback. The Eagles are going to have a quarterback in there. It's never played the National Football League before. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take the Eagles just because I have to, and I don't care about this pool either. Um, but I think Dallas is going to win this game. There you have it. Okay, Fred, get to practice at 7.30, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, my friend. Sounds good. So then you get the win then. Congrats. You won you yeah, again congrats. this year. All right. Okay, Fred, thanks, bud. Thanks, Fred. Hey, Chip, we've got another great guest tonight making his second visit to this football season to Philly Press Box Radio to talk Penn State football. Welcome back to the voice of the Nittany Lions, Steve Jones. Hey, guys, how are you? Great to be with you. Hey, Steve, happy holidays. I'm guessing you'll be heading out to uh, Phoenix Stadium very soon for this matchup of a couple of pretty good 10-2 and two teams. Penn State and Washington, two high-scoring teams. What sort of game do you expect out of the Fiesta Bowl? Uh, I think it's going to be a medium-scoring game uh, between them. I think the defense can make enough plays on both sides. The offense can make enough plays on both sides. So I don't see one side dominating the other where it's all defensive, it's low scoring, or it's all offensive, it's high scoring. I think you'll have what I term as a normal game uh, where, you know, the the winning score may be in the upper 20s, maybe 30, something like that. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's a great matchup between the two. I think there's a lot of talent on both sides. Uh, Washington really hasn't been tested. They really had an interesting – it depends on who you get in crossover games. You know, their crossover games in the Pac-12 did not include USC, for example. Uh, and their non-conference schedule was not great. So I think they're wondering how good they are. And, of course, Penn State, uh, let's face it, 10-2 um, and two record, and uh, this is a big game for them. I think they, some momentum into the offseason would be huge. Hey, Steve, a lot's been written about Saquon Barkley and uh, his decision. To, it seemed like it was a no-brainer decision to go to the NFL. I've seen him as high as the number four pick in the draft, uh, the first non-quarterback, but he's kind of sounded like he's wavering, like this is a big deal, and it's not uh, automatic NFL. What do you think? Well, it, it is a big deal for him because, I mean, the difference is I'm around him enough, and being around him enough, he loves being here. He loves playing college football, and you can see him on the practice field. He'll be out there, and, he, you know, he's having a good time with his teammates. They'll throw music on during a particular period, so when he's done with whatever he's doing, he'll dance. I mean, he's just, he just really enjoys it. Um, now, in the end, in the end, you've got to think that the money factor comes into play here because, yep. you know, you can go to the next level, be a top you know, let's be conservative, top 10 pick. You know, it depends on what the needs are of the teams that are drafting. So a top 10 pick, he's going to make a lot of money at the next level. And, I mean, in the end, that's going to be a, a, probably an overriding factor. You know, and then you get to the other part. Say he does come back, which would be, obviously, for Penn State, be great. I mean, he's, he's sitting there. But, you know, believe it or not, that stuff gets used against your recruiting. Well, see, you go to Penn State, they make you stay, you know, even though it's not true. Look at Miles Bridges at Michigan State. They're using that on Tom Izzo. And Izzo's had so many early entries over the years. It's ridiculous. Steve, speaking of Barkley, great start to the season, obviously. A not-so-great second half, at least in terms of what we had gotten used to. What happened the second half of the year for Barkley? Well, I mean, they teed on him in every, every possible sense. He actually opened up the game for everybody else. I mean, Juwan Johnson, Mike Gesicki, Deshaun Hamilton, Trace McSorley all had big seasons because – Barkley drew so much attention, you know, that Penn State at times used him as a decoy. And I, mean, I remember there was a play in a game where McSorley scored a touchdown on a run and he faked the pitch to Barkley and four guys went after Barkley. Well, that took four guys away and McSorley ran for a touchdown. And that's just the way it is. He's attracted so much attention that it is um, – it made life obviously – not easy for him, and he didn't get as many touches in the second half because of that. Uh, but, geez, when he does touch it, he is a dynamic player. I mean, in every sense of the word, I don't think I've seen a, a running back as dynamic as him maybe since Kurt Warner here, and there's a lot of things he does that, you know, that might be better than Kurt Warner. 
Hey, Steve, it looks like on the recruiting trail that Penn State is tearing it up. Some of the experts have them up there, maybe the top three classes in the country. Um, the rich are getting richer, it looks like. Well, this is what you want. You want to get into a position where you're playing in New Year's Six games on a regular basis. Last year, the Rose Bowl. This year, the Fiesta Bowl, which then takes your profile to another level. And that then follows with recruiting. And this has now become a destination place for a lot of people as to where they want to go. Penn State's done really well in the state. When James Franklin got here, he said, hey, quote, he said, we're going to dominate the state. Well, the state player of the year three years ago was Miles Sanders. He came here. The state player of the year uh, right after that was Lamont Wade. He came here. The state player of the year after that was was, uh, was Micah Parsons. He came here. So, I mean, that's the kind of job they're doing in-state. They've done a great job in Maryland, New Jersey. Uh, They're doing a great job down in Virginia. And and let's face it, I mean, they've put together a winning program here that, you know, in the past, let's see, in the past, what, 14 months, Penn State has beaten Ohio State, beaten Michigan, beaten Michigan State, beaten Iowa twice, beat Pitt, uh, you know, played in the Rose Bowl, now they're playing in the Fiesta Bowl, or they beat Wisconsin. I mean, you know, that's what they've been doing here. Not only that, they're 14-0 and 0 their last 14 home games in Beaver Stadium, and Beaver Stadium now is regularly sold out. And to any recruit that walks in and sees that kind of atmosphere, you're going to get blown away by it. hate to bring up this uh, bad couple of memories, Steve, but a couple of heartbreaking losses for the Lions this season. You know it. You were there. A one-point defeat at the hands of Ohio State and that final seconds field goal loss at Michigan State. How devastating were those two losses for the players and coaches, and how did they deal with it? Well, Jim, it was hard. I mean, there's no question about that because you go into the season with aspirations that on New Year's Day you're going to be playing either at the the, uh, Sugar Bowl or the Rose Bowl, which would be one of the playoff games. And when you put yourself to a spot where you're the number two ranked team in the country, you now really are thinking that uh, some of this stuff is going to come true and, the, you know, the turning point in the Ohio State game is when J.T. Barrett fumbled and Sharif Miller recovered at the 42-yard line of Ohio State. If Penn State gets a first down out of that, you know, lose the ball, I don't know, let's just say 12 yards, right? They're going to kick a field goal. And if Penn State kicks a field goal, it's now a three-score game. Now, based on time, because you've got to eat a little time to get there, and being a three-score game, Ohio State's not going to win. Instead, Penn State gets thrown for a loss, no gain, incomplete pass, and they punt, and Denzel Ward blocks the punt, and Ohio State goes in and, and scores. At minimum, that's a 10-point turnaround there, yeah. uh, possibly even a 14-point turnaround. I mean, that's where, it's, you know, you've got the lead in the fourth quarter like that, and they could not put the game away. Michigan State was a bizarre circumstance. I mean, a three-hour and 24-minute <laughs> yeah. weather delay. I mean, James Franklin prepares for everything. I remember the last year. Uh, I don't usually go to the walkthroughs. The walkthroughs are usually on Friday. They're always on Friday. And I've got a talk show that goes till 5 o'clock. I'm usually done with it by the time I would even get over there. So I go to all the other practices. And, of course, Jack doesn't get over for it either. So Jack and I went to the Rose Bowl walkthrough. And the Rose Bowl walkthrough lasted an hour and 15 minutes because they went through every single scenario possible in the game. Every scenario, units, things like that. Well, Here's a guy who prepares for everything. Everything. You don't prepare for a three-hour, twenty-four-minute weather delay. Hmm. When do you eat? What do you eat? How do you eat? You know, I mean, you know, there's normally a clock as to when. Well, we got to get something into them, so they went to Chick-fil-A and they got sandwiches. You know, they were grilled <laughs> and not. I mean, because I mean, nobody ever been through it before. I mean, the only time, the last time Penn State had a game delayed by weather was the Ohio State game in 2000, but it was before the opening kickoff. They delayed it a half an hour. It's the only time. So, I mean, you, you don't sit there and say, you know what, this is how we'll handle a three-hour and 24-minute rain delay. That doesn't come up in the staff meeting. Hey, Steve, I'm going to admit that I'm a bit of a Penn State homer, so I, my, my question here is probably going to be a little bit slanted. Uh, but with the one one point and three point loss, when when the two lost teams were being lined up, it almost seemed like Penn State was getting absolutely no respect. And in my humble opinion, their resume was better than Ohio State's, even with the one loss, one point loss to Ohio State. Um, it seems to me the whole college football system is a mess. 
Well, I, I think what bothers me is there's an obvious slant toward the uh, SEC. That Auburn can sit there with two losses, and their two losses are considered to be a better record than Penn State. The SEC is a very, very challenged offensive conference. Very challenged. And it's also a very top-heavy conference. Uh, you know, I'd say Alabama, Georgia, Auburn. But then after that, LSU, and then you start to slide down. Right? You want to know how offensively challenged the SEC is right now? You want to know how many – I think Calvin Ridley of Alabama, the wideout, is an absolutely exceptional player. You want to know how many touchdowns he had in SEC games this year? Hmm. Zero. Wow. Huh. He didn't score a single touchdown in the SEC. And to me, offensively, he'll be the best player on the field offensively for either team in the Clemson-Alabama game. Yeah, I think he's tremendous. But the whole league is, is offensively challenged. And that's what, I mean, that's what's so uh, interesting about the SEC. It's very top-heavy, and it's offensively challenged. And so I'm looking at, I'm not just looking at what Ohio State did. I'm looking at Auburn. Like, they're getting all this love. I'm thinking, like, so, okay, this team lost by four points, and you lost games with, you know. And that, I just thought, and Penn State was never in the conversation down the stretch, never. Like, as soon as yep. they lost to Michigan State, that was it. They were done. Yeah. Well, the system being what it is, Steve, we are left with four teams in the college football playoffs. Want to get your uh, outlook. Number one, Clemson versus number four, Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. And then the Rose Bowl has numbers two and three, Oklahoma and Georgia. Who wins on Monday and who wins it all? Uh, I'm going to go with Oklahoma to win it all. I think they'll beat Georgia, and I think Mayfield will be a big reason why. I know it's odd to say that a Big 12 team has enough defense to win these games. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but Oklahoma does, and they've got the quarterback to win it as well. I think that when you look at Georgia, their quarterback, they will challenge the quarterback, two great running backs in Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle. excellent defense. But I think Oklahoma's got the swing guy, and that's Mayfield. Alabama and Clemson, I don't, I don't see a lot of points. And this is where there's no Deshaun Watson. Bryant's very good, but he's not in Watson's class. Jalen Hurts is better as a, as a thrower. I mean, Hurts can run. He can run any time. Uh, he's a better thrower than he was last year, but you know how much better you can debate. Uh, I just don't think I just don't think Alabama has enough offense to win this game. I really don't. I think Clemson's going to win it. They'll play Oklahoma, and Oklahoma will win it. There you go. All right, Steve. Well, hey, we appreciate you taking your time out of your very busy schedule, and uh, thanks for coming on with us again. Hey, no problem. The plane leaves uh, at 5.30 in the morning. So. <laughs> Have fun, Steve. Where I'm, go- where I'm going at 78. Thanks, guys. Happy All New right. Year. Thanks, yeah, Happy Steve. New Year, guys. Thanks, Jack. All right. See ya. All right. Hey, Chet, let's take a minute. Thank everyone that's visited our website, phillypressboxradio.com. As we said, we're coming up on our 15-month anniversary, and we've had over 24,000 visitors to the site, and for the listeners that aren't familiar with our site, it's www.phillypressboxradio.com. You can listen to all our shows through the site. We keep it updated daily with our current Philly sports articles, some we write. We post Vimeos of interviews with all of our guests as well. You can click on our sponsors links to go directly to their websites as well. And that's all just on the cover page. We have linked pages to all our guest sites, also fun photo page, and we also have or uh, celebrity pictures as well. So we want to thank everyone again for visiting. And uh, if you haven't, try it out, phillypressboxradio.com. Yeah, we look forward to trying to do what we can to improve the website even further in 2018. We have some big shows coming up too as well in the near future. And it's going to be a fun year on the Philly sports scene. And, hey, Bill, before we move on and talk more sports, You asked me a bizarre question two weeks ago regarding whose voice I'd like to hear last before going to bed at night, Tom Petty or Kate Beckinsale. You know I have strong feelings for both, but you know what, Bill? Because I love most of the late, great Tom Petty's songs, and I love pretty much everything about Kate, including her accent and her sense of humor, I've come up with a way to enjoy both of them. So give a listen. They thought there's nothing more funny than a naked man. Which, as an idea, I think a naked man is very funny, but in the real life, often not as funny. The way it is, the I 
wore no underwear for you. Look where it got me. My friend's husband's dad is a judge in London, and he had to make a law about whether or not it was legal to nail your own testicles to a picnic table. And it was a long debate. It turned out it is illegal. It's illegal? Yes, because of the inconvenience to other people. In a world It just feels really weird. <laughs> there you go. Tom and Kate together. <laughs> well, you know what, Ted? I think we're going to have to keep you off the controls from now on. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. Uh, Love them both. Tom Petty and Kate Beckinsale. Beautiful. Last time I'll ever ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, let's get back to talking some Eagles. You, like we said, you seem like many in the Delaware Valley. and You're just not a believer. All right, let me expand on that a little more. Uh, I am a realist. That's all. I'm still a big fan, still hoping for the best, which, of course, would be a Super Bowl title. I want to see that either this year or as soon as possible. I don't know how long I'm going to be around, you know. But there's a reason my optimism has gone down a bit. Just like why the birds have fallen in the latest power rankings and why Vegas has lengthened the Eagles' Super Bowl odds to 12-1. to 1. In addition to the change at quarterback from a guy who was a leading MVP candidate to a backup both the offense and defense overall haven't looked quite so formidable the last few weeks. That's my reasoning. That's all. They're simply not as good a team as they were a month ago. I mean, you know, when they were rolling along in November, beating everybody by two or three touchdowns, and the Super Bowl odds were 4-1 to one or 5-1, to one, of course I was more confident. So, yeah, my confidence has waned a bit, but it doesn't mean I'm rooting against them. It doesn't mean I'm a pessimist. I'm just trying to keep it real, Bill. That's all. Well, we don't ever think you're rooting against them. We would never go quite that far. But uh, but I guess here here's my take on this, Chet. And uh, I think people, if you look at that game between the Eagles and the Raiders, and, and I really believe that unless you were there, and I know some of our listeners were there, and they may could tell us some about this as we, as we move on, but I, I think the conditions of this game were far worse than what we, we thought on TV or could see on TV. You couldn't throw the ball. Example uh, was the Aguilar pass that he actually ended up dropping went through his arms. But he was wide open, and Foles underthrew that ball by five yards, three yards. Um, he couldn't get the ball in the air, so both teams decided – and the Raiders couldn't throw it either other than the one pass to Cooper. Both teams decided they were going to smash him out the game um, and, and run the football. And even into kicking game, you know, you saw the kick that we missed went sideways. The one they missed went sideways. Fortunately for us, we missed one so we could make one, and we knew how to kick it the second time. I think this game is an anomaly. It's not as bad as it looked. And uh, and I think the Eagles defense played great based on – they held Marshawn Lynch to 96 yards, and he just kept hammering up in there, but they kept making plays. Uh, at the end of the day, they won, and that's that's the important thing. Yeah, it is the important thing. They got the WA secured home field advantage, but it's going to be tougher to do that if you play that kind of game when you're going against, you know, the Saints or the Falcons or the Vikings or whomever they face off against in the postseason. So I still think they got to do a little more work, and that's why I, I hope that, you know, what we're hearing is accurate, that Foles will play at least a half on Sunday against the Cowboys. I want to see him, you know, get a few more reps and get some more time working with Alshon Jeffrey because they couldn't connect at all last Sunday or Monday night, the Christmas night game. I know the weather was a factor, and that being the case, I'm surprised they only ran the ball 45% of the time. I thought they would have run the ball more because of the cold weather and the fact that it was a little bit windy and the fact that Foles was you know, struggling a bit, too, to get uh, the ball to his receivers. I thought they should have run the ball more than they did. Well, early in the game, it was uh, right before halftime, it was 13 to 12 runs to passes, and then, but then they threw the ball down the field to get to miss the field goal. Uh, which threw the numbers off and ended up like 20 to 13 or 19 to 13 or something like that at halftime. Um, you know, and then they tried to throw the ball a little bit more in the second half, but you know, they, they were fumbling, they were getting holding calls, uh, you know, things weren't quite going their way and they, they, they might've got a little desperate when they started throwing the ball a little bit more, but uh, you know, I, I certainly agree. Foles did not play well. Um, but I, I'm not thinking it's the end of the world. It, you know, and, and to Frank's comment about Foles running the ball, 
I'm not sure that they have not told him, you absolutely do not run the football. These games don't matter. You run the ball in the playoffs. Hmm. Okay. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens on Sunday in the uh, you know final regular season game, and then we sit and wait to see who they play two weeks after that. And if you ask me, I think the team that would scare me the most would be the Saints, just because of the experience of Drew Brees and the fact that the Saints are a more balanced team now than they used to be. You know, they have a great running back, they have a better defense than we're used to seeing from the Saints. So that would be the one team that would scare me the most in a early matchup is the Saints, because I think they could give the Eagles fits. Well, I do too. And I think you, you get a guy like Drew Brees. He, you know, you're talking about him. You're talking about Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, those kind of guys been there, done that kind of guys. And, uh, and he's certainly one of them. He he's a good one. And I would rather not see him as well. Well, I have a question for you though, before we, we stop our Eagles talk, let's just say we get to the first round. Well, it'll be our first round, the second round of the playoffs and get knocked off. Disappointing season. Good season disappointing because even without Carson Wentz, I think they should still be able to beat whomever they play in the divisional playoff weekend. It's a game at the link. They were 13 and two, you know, maybe 14 and two on the regular season. They should be able to beat whomever comes into the link in that uh, first home playoff game. So for me, it would be a disappointing season, even though, you know, I know Carson Wentz was hurt. I know they lost a lot of other guys to injuries. A lot of other teams also lost some key guys. So if they lose that first home playoff game, to me, it's a disappointment. Yeah, interesting. They could win, they could win 14, 14 games, and, and we thought they were going to win nine or ten, and, and we're disappointed. Yeah. Uh, kind yeah. of crazy. Things well, change. Jed, I just wanted to ask you uh, for one second, real quick, because it's almost January. Uh, is it time to pay attention to Flyers hockey yet? No, nah, not for me. <laughs> Once football <laughs> season officially ends, then I'll start paying a little more attention to them. I know Michael Neuvert is back, so we never really got to see uh, Lyon, who they brought up to back up uh, Brian Elliott. Um, we'll see what he's got. Uh, we'll see how the young kids continue to develop. You know, we know Provorov's a stud, but we're still not seeing as much as we should from Konechny and some of the other young guys. So hopefully they'll improve a little bit, Nolan Patrick as well. And then when I start watching them in earnest in early February, hopefully they'll be you know, in the playoff spot by then. Right now there's still, what, four or five points out of the wild card spot in the East. So once again, right where we thought they'd be, you know, on the outside looking in for that final playoff spot. Well, you know, I, I think joining hockey in February might make you a bandwagon Flyers hockey fan. <laughs> I'm a busy guy, Bill. I got a lot going oh, on. Yeah, yeah. By the way, uh, this Friday night, they will be in Tampa playing a really, really good Lightning team, and uh, I will be in attendance. That was a Christmas present I got. It was a couple tickets to the Flyers. I heard that's a nice gift. Hopefully they'll win one for you. Uh, regardless, hope it's a good game and that you enjoy yourself. Uh, we will certainly do that. Uh, Lightning, Lightning's a good team. It's, uh, we struggled down here to begin with, and uh, this is going to be a tough matchup. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, hey, Chet, what a year 2017 has been for us at Philly Press Box Radio. As we said, 50 shows in 52 weeks, and it has been a lot of fun. We've had great guests given their time to join us, and we certainly appreciate all that. On we go to week one of 2018, and who is coming to Philly Press Box Radio to kick off the new year? (laughs) Well, we're going to start off 2018 talking Eagles football and more with a guy who knows quite a bit about the birds, a guy who also was never a huge Nick Foles fan, a guy who will be rooting for Alabama this weekend, and a guy who's been our, on our show eight times previously. We're pulling him out of his beach chair down in South Carolina to talk football with us, coming out of retirement for one week anyway, former NJ.com Eagles beat reporter Mark Eckel. Well, it'll be interesting to hear what I didn't know Mark was coming. Good, good, another great choice. But uh, without the Packers being in the mix, it'll be interesting to see uh, Mark's take on the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, and to see what life is like in South Carolina, too. I'm curious. Well, I've seen enough pictures to know that life is pretty good for the Eccles <laughs> down there Myrtle Beach. I have no doubt. All right. Well, hey, Chet, before we get to our parting shots for tonight, uh, we want to take a time to wish everyone a Happy New Year, since this will be our last meeting until after the first. 
Yeah, and if you're going out for New Year's Eve, be careful. But as Bill said, make it a happy one. Have a great 2018, everybody. All right, Mr. Chesco, it is time for parting shots. And uh, I do not have one. I had a little situation here today that got me thrown off uh, my game. So I am passing on my parting shot, but I'm thinking you probably have a good one. Oh, yeah. The end of the year, I think about these kind of things. And as I get older myself, I seem to be more affected by the passing of celebrities and athletes, people that I've enjoyed watching on the silver screen or in concert or on the court or the ball field. And 2017 was another tough year on that front. We said goodbye to celebrities, including Mary Tyler Moore, Jerry Lewis and Don Rickles. Hugh Hefner, too, and uh, legendary musicians, including Chuck Berry, Fats Domino, Chris Cornell, Greg Allman, and, of course, the amazing Tom Petty, whom I had seen in concert just a couple of months beforehand. The sports world lost greats, including Connie Hawkins, Jake LaMotta, Don Baylor, Y.A. Tittle, and just last week, Dick Enberg. But we were especially hard hit in terms of former Philadelphia sports figures lost. There were the lesser-known names like John Reeves, Darrell Imhoff, and Charles Shackelford, and a too-long list of bigger names. Legendary Villanova basketball coach Roly Massimino left us, as did former Temple football coach Wayne Harden. And the Phillies organization said goodbye to Ruben Amaro Sr., Hall of Fame pitcher Jim Bunning, and 1980 World Series manager Dallas Green. Those all hurt us, as longtime Phillies fans, of course, but the even tougher ones were yet to come. In August, brain cancer took the life of former Phillies catcher and macho row leader Darren Dalton, And then, in early November, we got the news of that small plane crash off the coast of Florida that killed former pitcher Roy Halladay. Dutch and Doc both gave us so many thrills during their time as Phillies, and they will never be forgotten. Regarding all the names I just mentioned, thanks for the memories. Boy, I tell you, nice job. It's, uh, you know, so many things happen across the course of the year. You kind of forget that all those things happened in the last 52 weeks. My goodness, there's uh, a couple of those I thought had been a little longer already. Wow. Yeah, lost a bunch of good ones this past year. And, hey, 30 seconds, Bill, tell me your feelings about the 76ers. Were you surprised that Frank was kind of on board with what's going on? He's a little optimistic. I know you're a T.J. McConnell fan. Um, what do you think uh, of this franchise right now? I know we want to see Simmons uh, shoot a little more. What are your feelings about the Sixers heading into the new year? Well, um, I, I really enjoyed the uh, the second half of the Christmas Day game with McConnell in there kind of running the show a little bit along with Riddick and uh, – they, they moved the ball around well, played well. I think uh, I like them a little more in a team-oriented game than I see when they, they basically just try to post up JoJo and let him do his thing. I, I like seeing him run the court and dishing it off and moving the ball. Yeah, I'm with you. And you'll remember that I predicted early on uh, that they'd probably be like 13 and 20 at Christmas time. Instead, they're 15 and 18. And then I thought they would get better once the calendar turned to 2018. So we'll see if I'm right. Of course, it hinges largely on Embiid's health. We've got to keep him on the court. Yeah, and, and Embiid looked like he was struggling a little bit health-wise, you know, uh, in that yep. game the other day that I got to watch most of. He, uh, he looks like he's going to struggle to make it through this season. Uh, you know, playing a lot. Let's hope for the best. You bet. All right. Well, Mr. Chesko, that is about to wrap it up. We've reached the top of the hour. So let's go ahead and thank our special guests, Frank Fitzpatrick, Steve Jones, Fred Hugo, Irish Rover Station House, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chet Chesko, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, January 3rd, 2018. At 7 p.m. when Mark Eckel joins us. You can listen to our website, phillypresspoxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet at www.blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Mixcloud. Happy New Year from all of us at Philly Press Box Radio. High hopes, Philadelphia.